NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mollock, and you're listening to Podcast. The podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former Pittsburgh Steelers defensive end L.C. Greenwood and whether or not he belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a moment, discuss Greenwood's career and Hall of Fame candidacy is NFL writer for CBS Sports, Brian Diardo. But before we bring Brian on, let's talk a little more about L.C. Greenwood. So he played defensive end for the Steelers his entire career. From 1969 to 1981, he was in Pittsburgh. And over that career, he made six Pro Bowls and was a two-time AP First Team All-Pro. He, of course, was also a part of that Steel Kern Steelers defense that led the Steelers to four Super Bowls in the 1970s, four Super Bowl championships in the 1970s. So Greenwood has four rings and was a huge part of that Steelers defense. He had four sacks in Super Bowl X, which is the record for most sacks in a Super Bowl. Um, Also played very well in the other three Super Bowls they won. Now, LC was elected to the all 1972nd team by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So he's part of an all-decade team. And again, is one of the better defenders of the 1970s. And again, you think of that steel current defense in Pittsburgh, you think of Mean Joe Green, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, Mel Blunt, some all-timers, some all-guys in the Hall of Fame. Donnie Schell, also a Hall of Famer. But LC Greenwood was right in the conversation with these guys as one of the main, you know, playmakers on that Steelers defense. He finished his career with 78 career sacks. Again, this is unofficial career sacks. They didn't officially start recording sacks until 1982, but unofficially 78 career sacks, which is more than any of those other players on that steel current uh, defense. He also unofficially has 12.5 career playoff sacks, including five in the 1975 playoffs. Uh, Greenwood was six foot six, 245 pounds. He was like a prototypical kind of rusher that you see today, but back then at that size, a little more unique. Uh, and is someone who, again, retired all the way back in 1981, unfortunately passed away in 2013, but has been on the outside looking in for the Hall of Fame for a very long time. He was a finalist six different years for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but never was able to get over the hump. The last time he was a finalist was way back in 2006. And now, you know, he's not on the annual vote, but it's up to the Veterans Committee now to elect him. So a Veterans Committee would have to elect Elsie Greenwood for him to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And today, Brian and I are going to talk about, of course, Greenwood's case, his career, and whether or not we believe he should be in the Hall of Fame, whether we believe we think he'll get into the Hall of Fame. So, We have a great show for you today. It was really fun going back in time here a bit and talking about Greenwood's great career in Pittsburgh. Uh, We did a Heinz Ward episode last week. We're doing an Elsie Greenwood episode this week. We're on a Steelers roll here. No Steelers episode next week, but enjoy today. So with the quick facts out of the way about Greenwood, let's bring on Brian. All right, so I'd like to welcome... To the podcast today, NFL writer for CBS Sports, Brian Diardo. Brian, welcome. Happy Friday. How are you today? 
Hey, I'm doing great. It's good to be on with you. Uh, I never know this part of the year. Do we call it summer or are we still in the spring? You know, I'm not quite sure what to say right now, but <laughs> you know, you know, Brian, anytime in Chicago, we're not wearing winter jackets. We call that summer. We are on patios out here. The second it hits 50 degrees and people are in shorts. So I'm going to call it summer. Um, the sun is shining today. It is June. We are we are happy, but football season's coming up. I mean, it's right around the corner. The Emmy finals are wrapping up, but we're talking football already. And today we have a football episode for you all. We are going back in time, though, and talking about a former Steelers great L.C. Greenwood and his career, his Hall of Fame candidacy. And some of you might be listening and being like, I probably thought L.C. Greenwood was in the Hall of Fame already. And, and that is probably something that comes up quite a bit for many um, of course, Greenwood played for the Steelers from 1969 to 1981. So, yes, he was a part of all four of those Super Bowl championship teams um, from the 70s. Uh, Greenwood was a finalist for six different years by the Hall of Fame committee, which I think a lot of my listeners know if you become a finalist any year, there's a really good chance you get in one day. He was a finalist six years, never got in. The last time he was a finalist was 2006. It is up to the Veterans Committee now to get Greenwood into the Hall of Fame. And Brian and I are going to talk about his career again today and maybe, you know, why isn't he in yet and do we think he should be in? So, Brian, the first question I ask all my guests at the top of top of the episode is, you know, when you think of L.C. Greenwood, his name comes up in conversation. What's the first thing that's kind of popping into your mind? Um, unique, I think, is the first word that comes to mind. I mean, when you looked at him, he had the gold uh, spikes you know, which kind of made him stand out, you know, that was back when a lot of players just wore like, you know, either white shoes or black shoes and he wore gold spikes. So he was kind of him and white Billy white shoes. Johnson were really like the first kind of guys and Joe Namath, you know, with, with the white, the, the white high tops were the first kind of guys to kind of make football more of a style individual kind of thing. And uh, you know, back to, in that time, you know, the NBA was already doing that with Julius Irving with the Afros and stuff. And, I think at that point, football was still trying to kind of become what it is today, which is kind of, I think we both can agree, the slam dunk most popular sport in America. But even back then, I mean, they all wear helmets and you only saw them on Sundays. So it was harder back then for players to really stand out individually. And, and LC Greenwood really, not only with his play on the field, but also the way he looked, he had the rec specs, he had the, the high tops, like I said. He was 6'6", 245. John Facenda in one of the NFL films, Super Bowl documentaries, called him a volleyball player in pads. So this was a guy that when he, he jogged onto the field, you took notice of him. He wasn't a guy that just blended in. Uh, and then when you look at the way he affected the game, I mean, a run stuffer, a, a pass rusher, the way he was able to deflect passes. I mean, this was a guy that uh, did it all. He was very unique. And as we'll talk about in the show, very deserving of a Hall of Fame, a gold jacket and a bust. Yeah. No, I mean, Elsie Greenwood, when I think of those Steelers teams again, and we're talking about this maybe a little later, but, you know, I think of, of course, Mean Joe Green, who's on the line with him. I think of Jack Ham. I think of Jack Lambert. But then, honestly, I, I gravitate to Greenwood, and they there's two Hall of Famers still I haven't, you know, talked about on that team yet Um, in, in the secondary. So that team was obviously stacked with talent. I've always read that Greenwood wore those gold spikes, you know, to stand out from Joe Green on the screen because everyone's, you know, always looking for him. But the funny thing is, right, I, when I think of Joe Green, and, and he was an enormous man, I think he was 6'4", 6'5", like 270, Greenwood was actually taller and on the line actually stood out a little more. And, you know, at six foot six, 
Um, back in the NFL those days, I mean, nowadays, I think there's a lot of six foot six, you know, DNs, outside linebackers, even. And of course, on the offensive line, everyone's humongous. But back in the 70s, you know, Ed Tuttle Jones had that name because he was so tall. He was just a couple inches taller than Elsie Greenwood. He really did kind of stand out as this very tall, but maybe not, you know, overly sized like Joe Green kind of guy and was able to stand out on a team that, again, had five Hall of Famers on the defense. And then, of course, again, four off or Hall of Famers on the, the offense. So that team was just overly stacked with talent. Yet Greenwood's still a name that you remember. It's not a name that kind of gets lost in, in the shuffle when you're talking about some of these all-time great teams. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you kind of mentioned some of those guys. I mean, I have here some testimonies from, you know, Joe Green, Jack Ham, two of the guys you just mentioned that are in the Hall of Fame. This is from Joe Green's 1987 induction ceremony. I don't know what my career would have been without him. He should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame. Bottom line, he's being cheated. That was Joe Green of LC. You have Jack Ham in, in the Hall of Fame. Tony Dungy once called him the greatest outside linebacker he has ever seen. He said, I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame without LC and the work he did on the field. The fact that he isn't in there, too, has everything to do with politics. And then I even talked to Jackie Slater a few years ago, the Rams offensive Hall of Fame offensive tackle who played 20 years with the Rams, who blocked against LC Greenwood in Super Bowl 14. I asked him what that was like, and he said that was – one of his all-time greatest moments of his career, just being able to play against a player of Elsie's caliber. At that point, Elsie was was nearing the end of his career, and he goes, that guy was a professional to the T. All the moves that he unleashed on me, and he goes, the fact that, you know, this was his first Super Bowl, Jackie Slater, he was young. He was like, I probably came out with all this energy, and Elsie was just consistent. He plodded along. He goes, by the fourth quarter, when it was a game, Elsie – just were elevated to a different level. The intensity that he came off the ball with, he goes, we weren't quite ready for it. And you talk about, um, you know, all the great players he played with. I think that's maybe one thing that's lost on the 70s Steelers is it was a very collaborative effort. Whenever you see LC in on a sack, if like, you know, doing the research for the show, I looked back at a lot of his highlights. And this is could be a detriment to him, but it could also be a credit to him in that defense where, there's a lot of times where he starts a play but doesn't finish it. You know, Ernie Holmes or Dwight White or somebody else comes in and finishes it. Conversely, there's a lot of plays that he doesn't start but he finishes because, you know, those guys got it kind of drumming up for him. So it was a team that there was a lot of collaborative effort. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, I think when they, you know, people look at that team, Joe Green's the first name that comes to mind, then probably from the defense, and then Jack Lambert, Mel Blunt. I think those three guys, you kind of right away are like, all right, these guys have to be in the Hall of Fame. Then after that, who are we going to look at? Ham is an incredibly underrated player. He got in, I believe, first ballot, I think, or second. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, and then you look at Donnie Show, who's kind of the last guy that got in just over the last couple of years. And I always thought, no, and no knock on Donnie, I always thought that that LC uh, would be the next guy to get in. But yeah, I mean, his numbers. He led the Steelers in sacks career-wise all the way up until 2016 when James Harrison passed him. And, you know, Pro Football Reference recently added up all the sacks of guys that played prior to 1982. Before that, you know, the unofficial – and still, it's all, it is still unofficial, right? It's, sure. it's still not official. But for a long time, LC was credited with 73-and-a-half sacks. Pro Football Reference has given him – uh, 78 and a half. So for a long time, people thought that Jason Gilden was the Steelers sack all-time sack leader before Harrison. It actually wasn't. He's still third all-time behind Cameron Hayward. Now he's passed him and TJ Watt's going to pass him here soon. But, but the fact that he's been retired since 1981, he's still second on the team all-time and sacks are third all-time is, 
is something. And, uh, you know, he was sixth in defensive player of the year voting in 74, the year that Joe Green won. And I think, uh, and we can get to more stats and everything sure. later. But, but yeah, I mean, he was on a really unique defense. But again, when you talk about the 70s Steelers, he is one of the main reasons why that team was so successful. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the steel curtain a little later because I, I have some questions for you on that. And, you know, does being a part of that defense as much as it, you know, helps him for Super Bowl rings, a big part of that was that defense. Does it always kind of, also kind of hurt him? Because, again, he there's a lot of people on that team already in. Does the Hall of Fame voters be like, okay, we've, we've covered that team enough. That's good. But we're going to talk about that later. So it's a little tease. But let's go to our next segment here. We call this That Memorable Moment. And, and Brian, we're very liberal here. It, it can really be whatever you want it to be. It can be a single play. It can be a game, um, a, a playoff run, an entire season. But for you, if you had to say this is Greenwood's most memorable moment of his career, what would you say it was? Well, I think that it, it's a tie between the first two Super Bowls the Steelers won. And as I kind of talked about just a second ago, when we talk about the, the players that were most impactful on those teams that won Super Bowls, and now let's just look specifically at Super Bowls 9 and 10. I think 9, most people think Franco Harris, MVP of that game, rightfully should be thought of in, in that vein as a guy that really was a huge part of that win. Uh, Joe Green had a fumble recovery and an interception in that game. Dwight White played despite having pneumonia and recorded the first safety in Super Bowl history, the first points in Steelers Super Bowl history. So that's kind of Super Bowl 9 kind of guys. 10, it's Swan was the MVP with all those amazing catches, the game clinching catch, uh, the juggling catch that was replayed on. It's replayed to this day. Some people think it's still with, with David Tyree, the greatest catch in Super Bowl history. Uh, you have Jack Ham or Lambert, who famously threw down Cliff Harris after Harris taunted Roy Jarrell, the Steelers kicker, after a missed field goal. But in the midst of both of those games, you have Elsie Greenwood in Super Bowl nine deflecting three of Fran Tarkington's passes. One of them was intercepted by Joe Green, which stopped the Vikings drive. The Vikings did not score point offensively in that Super Bowl. But one of the reasons why was they Steelers had some couple of really big stands in that game. One of them was the interception from Green off of LC's deflected pass. Then you have Super Bowl 10, where, again, stats weren't official back then for individual players. But so, so we're not sure if it, if LC had four sacks or three sacks in Super Bowl 10. Some people give him credit for four, some for three. But we know minimum he had three sacks in that game of Roger Staubach. Uh, and all of them were, were significant to the win. Two of them, I believe, were in the fourth quarter alone when the Steelers were trying to protect their lead. So, um, I mean, those two Super Bowls, really, he had a big impact on both of them. And to me, those were kind of his uh, highlight signature moments of his career. Yeah, I, I have Super Bowl 10 down um, when they beat the Cowboys, as you just mentioned. But again, his performance in all of them were pretty significant. But the, those sack numbers of like unofficially coming out a couple of years ago from sports reference really paint him as, you know, I think there's an argument, even though Swan, again, had some huge catches the fourth quarter touchdown. You know, there I think there's an argument. Greenwood, three sacks or four sacks easily could have been easily could have been the uh, Super Bowl MVP as, you know, that was a close game, 21 to 17. And, you know, Staubach, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback, he put him on his ass four times. And he I think he got sacked seven times. So he's a part of that defense the whole time. I think that really wins the game for him. I mean, they they won by four and they didn't let one more, um, you know, touchdown up by the Cowboys. 
and, and you know, you look and again, it's unofficial, right? He had four sacks in that Super Bowl three, four. He had one the other. The, the record, the official record in Super Bowl history across as many games as you get there is four and a half. Um, share, uh, shared by Von Miller, who played in two Super Bowls, and Charles Haley, who played in five. So if he got four sacks in that game, he basically almost got the record four Super Bowls in one game. And then over his career, he unofficially has the record with five Super Bowl sacks, if if that was four in that game. So I think that really, again, has him stand out because, again, when you think of that defense, as you said at the beginning, and this will be a reoccurring theme, your brain goes to Green, Ham, Lambert, Blunt. You know, those are the where your name gravitates to immediately. But in some of these Super Bowls, Greenwood was the best defender, possibly the best player. Um, and, and again, that's no, you should never kind of shy over that because the Super Bowl is the biggest stage, especially back in the 70s when you weren't able to watch, you know, you didn't have red zone. You weren't being able to watch these guys every week. You didn't have a fantasy team. You you check the box scores in the newspaper. You watch the Super Bowl and Greenwood was coming up huge again in Super Bowl nine and 10. And it was a part of two more Super Bowl championship teams. He was the not the face, but he was, again, one of these guys in the same conversation with all these other Hall of Famers. And that performance in 10 especially, I mean, I, I might ask you a tough question here, Brian, but like, if you could go back and give a, in retrospect, give out MVPs to every Super Bowl again, looking through it through the lens we have today, do you think Greenwood could have deserved it over Swan in that Super Bowl 10? Because I always feel like Swan, a big part of why he's in the Hall of Fame is that Super Bowl and that MVP trophy he won. If it's reversed and Greenwood actually wins the Super Bowl trophy, the MVP trophy that year, and Swan doesn't, do you think they kind of swap each other out for the Hall of Fame right now? That's a great question. And that's actually an article I've thought about writing for a long time. If you could go back and redo every MVP, which ones would be different? Or if you just gave it to the runner-up, who the runner-up sure. I do think that Greenwood for sure would be the runner up in this one. Um, 10 or nine, it'd probably be between him and, and Joe Green because Joe Green had the pick and the fumble recovery. But I would say, you know, I think to your point about Swan, that's a major reason why he's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame mostly because of what he did in, in Super Bowls and big games, playoff games. And um, yeah, I mean, his, his MVP in this game was a huge reason why he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I think, you know, for all the individual uh, accolades that Greenwood has, the six Pro Bowls, the all-decade team, the two all-pros. He doesn't have a defensive player of the year, defensive rookie of the year, a Super Bowl MVP. I think if he had one of those things, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Um, it is hard to put Greenwood ahead of Swan as far as who's the MVP. I think if there's anybody else in the Super Bowl that would have been deserving of the MVP, it would have been Greenwood. I just, I just think Swan's catches were so so critical to the, mm -hmm. to the game. I mean, his first big catch on the sideline set up the game time touchdown. Now here's the weird part. The 53 yard catch, the one that gets all the accolades that didn't lead to any points that led to a missed field goal. His 64 yard catch, the touchdown catch that gave the Steelers a 21, the 10 lead, which ultimately they, they hung on and won 21, 17, but, but two of his catches were just, you know, they led to 14 points in a game that were only, you know, what 38 points were scored. But one other note on, on Greenwood's Super yeah. Bowl. Um, one thing I know, one of his sacks, it may, again, who knows with, with the stats, or whatever, but like, it could have been his first sack for all we know. 
the Steelers were losing 10 to seven and, you know, their field goal kicker had missed several field goals. Their offense hadn't been doing a lot. Franco actually that game really struggled to get a lot going on the ground. Um, really Swan's big catches are basically all the Steelers offense had in that game. They really didn't have a lot going on. So it's 10 to seven. The Cowboys are backed up in their own territory and Greenwood sacks Staubach pinning the Cowboys further back near their goal. I mean, they basically punt out of their end zone. Reggie Harrison comes up, locks the punt, goes out of the end zone. So the first eight Super Bowls, there are no recorded safeties. The Steelers' first Super Bowl win, two wins, there's two safeties. That makes the score 10 to 9. The Steelers end up scoring, uh, what, uh, 14 unanswered points. They get a field goal on their next drive. I think a field goal on their next drive. And then they get Swan's big touchdown. They miss the extra point. That gives you the 21 points. But that sack kind of started the, the changing of that game as far as the momentum. People think it's the Harrison block. Really, if you go just one play sooner, it's Greenwood sack and then the block and then the two field goals and then the touchdown. Yeah. No, uh, again, huge performances of those. And and just for Lynn Swan fans out there, I, 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 it's not that I don't think he deserves it. I think that it's just a conversation, but it is crazy. He only had four catches in that game, but each one I feel like is an all-time highlight. Like we're talking about memorable moments here. I almost feel like every, all four of his catches in that game were just highlights that again are replayed now by NFL films and whoever, every time the playoffs come around, but let's Brian, let's go to our, let's go to the next segment here. We call this and twins. And we're talking a lot about hall of famers right now. He had a lot of Hall of Fame teammates, and there's plenty of defensive players in Can today. And I, there's never a perfect twin here, Brian. But what I ask of any of my guests here is, if you look at Can today, you look at the Hall of Fame today, who is the closest to being Greenwood's twin? This can be by accolades and statistics. It can be how they played the game. It's usually a mix of both, but... No one's perfect. No one's identical. But who's the closest to being Greenwood's twin who's already in the hall today? Well, and I want to give a shout out. I'm sure I think we both have to Pro Football Reference, their Hall of Fame monitor. I mean, they, oh, yeah. they chronicle they chronicle history better than anybody, I think. Them and NFL work NFL films. But when you look at they have their Hall of Fame monitor where they have all this criteria, they rank every player by position that's like ever played, right? And uh so you look at the defensive ends and Greenwood is 16th all time. I think the only guys ahead of him that aren't uh, yet uh, eligible for Hall of Fame induction is J.J. Watt, who just retired, Julius Peppers, uh, who last played in 18, and he'll be in, he'll be in next year, right? Uh, and Dwight Freeney, who's just ahead of Greenwood. So Greenwood's 16, he's 15. And Freeney, I think this past year was first time eligible, and I think he'll probably get in. He'll get in Everybody soon. Everybody else that's elevate uh, that's that's eligible that's ahead of Greenwood is in the Hall of Fame. Everybody, and I, and Watt's going to make it. Uh, Peppers is going to make it, and we're ninety percent sure that Freeney's going to make it. So, and then right behind Greenwood is Clayus Campbell, Cameron Jordan, Harvey Martin, and those are three guys that are very deserving of the Hall of Fame. Then you go a little bit further. Neil Smith, you know, great, you know, Chiefs Broncos pass rusher, who I always thought when he played was a future Hall of Famer, but isn't. Jared Allen, who probably will get some Hall of Fame hub uh, as his career gets older. Leroy Selman is after him. Leroy Selman is in the Hall of Fame. He is 22 on this list. You go a little bit further down, Richard Dent, 25th in the Hall of Fame. Charles Haley, 26th in the Hall of Fame. So Elsie Greenwood is 
ahead of, you know, minimum, you know, three guys there. And there's more, Claude Humphrey, there's more down the list. But he's ahead of several really good players that are in the Hall of Fame. And if you consider Dwight Freedy or Clay as Campbell future Hall of Famers or Cameron Jordan, then you obviously have to include Elsie uh, Greenwood. But you asked me to, to, to kind of narrow it down to a couple of guys. And I think yeah. two guys that really stand out to me as far as you compare LC's career, let's look at one of his contemporaries, Carl Eller. Vikings player in the Hall of Fame. Elsie uh, has only two All Pros to his credit. One of the main reasons why was Carl Eller played his same position, had six. I think he had yeah five All Pros, six-time Pro Bowl, the same amount as Elsie, five All Pros. So the main reason why Elsie doesn't have more All Pros is because he shared an era with Carl Eller, who's in the Hall of Fame. And when you look at their careers, uh, Eller played from '68 to '78, so a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at his playoff years. He played from 64 to 79. So he played a little bit longer than, than LC, but they relatively, they, their, their eras basically crossed. Um, the main difference is uh, there's really two things between Eller and Greenwood. That's in Eller's favor. Eller has a lot more sacks. Greenwood has 78 career sacks, regular season. Eller has 133 and a half. So that's a huge difference. Eller also, uh, I believe has a, uh, no, he doesn't. I actually thought he had a, a league MVP to his credit, but he did lead the league in sacks one year in 1969, which is a stat that obviously something that Elsie doesn't have. But um, those are really the, the big differences there. But Elsie has the four rings. Eller doesn't have any. And, you know, Eller played in the pre-AFL NFL merger for six of his 16 career you know years. Not that that makes his stats less significant that he had before 1970, but just, you know, just he played in a smaller league for quite a bit of time, right? So, you know, and, and his big season, 69, was was the year before the league merger. Elsie played all but one of his, you know, 13 years in the AFL-NFL merger. Um, one juicy stat that I'm going to get into more later, but when you're comparing these two, they both played in, I mean, I think I think Elsie played in 18 career playoff games. Eller played in 19. Eller had 10 and a half career playoff sacks. Elsie had 12 and a half. So, uh, and Elsie, you know, had a, had a lot bigger impact in Super Bowls. Uh, you know, uh, Eller was 0-4 in Super Bowls. Elsie was was 4-0. Another player, if you just look at stats, we're not looking at, you know, contemporaries or anything whose career really matches up to Elsie's deserves to the Hall of Fame, is Leroy Selman, who, uh, as I just mentioned, is in the Hall of Fame. He's ranked behind Elsie. Uh, he had 78 and a half career sacks, which is just about the same number that Elsie had. Six Pro Bowls, same amount as LC, one All-Pro, one fewer than LC, uh, but only played um, nine seasons. And that's, I think, the big difference between the two is that Leroy uh, retired at age 30, was a Pro Bowler each of his last six seasons. Uh, so I think, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons why I think he got in the Hall of Fame, you know, a lot earlier. And, and obviously LC's still waiting is because I think when he played, he was considered unquestionably the best defensive end of his time. He played a little bit. I mean, he shared some of the same year with LC, but he played further into the 80s. He played through 84. And I think also with Selman, and this is as you talked about, uh, you know, LC playing with so many great teammates. Selman didn't. He was on a Buccaneers team that they were the yucks, right? They started 0-26. He was on the inaugural Buccaneers team. You know, he's kind of the face of the Buccaneers, really, uh, pre uh, the Warren Sapp era and now the Tom Brady era. I mean, if you look at the Mount Rushmore Buccaneers, Leroy, Leroy Selman's name is right there. 
So I think that might be one of the reasons why he is in the Hall of Fame is because he didn't have to share the spotlight with anybody. I mean, he, you know, the Buccaneers went to the a- NFC Championship game in 79, lost to the Rams team that beat, that lost to the Steelers in the Super Bowl that year. But he's kind of the face of that emergence of the Buccaneers. So that's the career that's that's most similar. But but again, playoff career sacks, he had four, LC had 12 and a half. So, and that's, I think a recurring theme that we'll continue to, to move along with as we talk about LC's career. Yeah. And, and the final name uh, I wanted to throw out here, just because again, when I look at their careers to me, it just on paper, I mean, I, I was not around in the seventies. I couldn't watch them play every Sunday. And even if I was around back then, I probably wouldn't have been able to watch them play every Sunday, but you look at uh former Houston oiler D end um elvin uh birthday right he's, he's in the hall of fame got him back in 2003 he played basically the same time as uh greenwood their careers almost line up exactly he's, he's 1968 to 1983 so he played a little longer he was an eight-time pro bowler so a few more pro bowls but he never made a first team all pro where you know lc made two he never was first team he made two all second team all pros um you know never won a championship played and i think maybe six, seven playoff games, eight playoff games. I just looked it up, seven sacks in those games. Um, And he's 105 sacks uh, unofficially, right? Which is a little more than Greenwood, but very in the ballpark. So he got in the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And when I really look at that, there's no championships. There's two more Pro Bowls and never made a first team All-Pro where LC made it twice. And the sack totals are very similar Again, that's more where Elvin stood out on an Oilers team that wasn't as good. But when you think of the Oilers defense from back then, you probably think of him, one of the first two names, um, where LC, again, on a stack defense, still has the same kind of accolades, though even on that defense, he was still able to stand out with the four Super Bowls, with the performance, yet he's being you know overlooked here. And, and, and I think this is a perfect kind of segue into our final segment which we call court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And and Brian, what we do in court here is we talk kind of like we've been doing throughout, you know, the the pros of LC's Cansey as well as the the cons and, and maybe what's holding him back since he's not in yet. And we've been talking about this point a lot. So I just want to dive into this. Um, We said at the top here that he was a part of that, that great steel curtain defense, right? Um, and, and of that defense, five of those defenders are already in the Hall of Fame today. And we've we've gone through them all. I think everyone's familiar with the team now. So if Greenwood were to get in, he'd be the sixth player of the defense of that era. So six of the 11 defenders would be in the Hall of Fame if LC were to get in. And my question to you, Brian, is, is there a limit to how many players from a defense can get in? Is, is that what's holding them back, that five is enough? We've covered the Steelers steel curtain we we don't they don't need to have a sixth other great defenses and I'll go into a second only have three representatives too they have five they don't need a sixth do you think that's something that's really holding back do you think there's a limit to how many players from one defense can get in the hall of fame on an unofficial limit of course right I I don't think there should be I think if, if you're that good then then I think you should get in but I think I think with um Donnie Shell, the reason why, because like I said, I always thought like the three Steelers that were most deserving that still weren't in were Greenwood, Shell, and Andy Russell, who played more in the 60s and 
retired after the 76 season. So he has two rings and, but he was a huge mentor to, to Jack Ham and Jack Lambert. And they both of them attest to his significance to their careers. But I think shell got, and shell was a great player. Like I always thought Diane shell deserved to be in the hall of fame too, but I think shell played, you know, from 74 to 87 and wasn't a starter on the Steelers first two Super Bowl teams as a yep. special teamer. That's why how we got that name, the torpedo, but he played a lot further into the 70s, into the 80s, and literally was the Steelers' kind of best, you could argue was their best player in the entire decade of the 80s. Um, had over 50 interceptions in his career. He still might be the leading, like, strong safety in career interceptions, if I'm not mistaken, but he uh second all-time in the Steelers' history in interceptions with 51, only second to to, to Mel Blunt. But uh, I think that's the reason why he's in the Hall of Fame, He's because he's played a lot longer and had the – uh, has the stats as far as interceptions. I think for for Greenwood, he's not in because he doesn't have the sack totals. I think that's the only thing. I think if LC Greenwood has 100 sacks, he's in the Hall of Fame. But there's guys ranked ahead of him in that on that list, the pro football reference list, that um, don't have 100 sacks either. Howie Long doesn't have 100 sacks. He's in the Hall of Fame. So I'm not quite sure, you know, why they – but, well, I do know why. The reason why they, that some guys got the benefit of the doubt that don't have this the stats – as far as sacks and white agreement isn't getting the, the benefit of the doubt is because of the fact that he played on a team that already has five guys in the hall of fame. So that is being held against him for sure. Um, is that he did play on a team with all those guys. If he was on a team with less guys, but no, I don't think there should be a limit. If there's a lot of great players, then, then put them all in. Right. I think that the 74 Raiders offense has six guys in the hall of fame, right? So if they can have six guys in, why can't the steel curtain defense have six guys in? Yeah. So I, you know, I went through defense. I was like, it would, would six be the, the most ever. And, you know, I looked at like, you know, I'm, I'm a Chicago guy, right? I go to my Chicago bears, the 85 bears. They, that was again, one year, one Super Bowl, not four. I'm I'll admit that. Um, and they have three, right? They have the Super Bowl MVP, Richard Den. And of course they have Michael Singletary and they have Dan Hampton. So they have three plays from that defense. You look at the great Ravens teams from just the 2000s, Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. That was two. That Minnesota, the purple people eaters you were talking about earlier with Eller, you know, Page and Paul Krause, they're, they're both in. That's three. And the Tampa Bay defense, actually, of the 2000s, Lovey Smith's cover 2D, Warren Sapp, Rondé Barber just got in, Derek Brooks and John Lynch. That's four. Do you think there's a defense with more than five, though? Yes or no? Because there's one more defense I have, and they have a, a high number. That has more than five? Do you think there is? Do oh, you think it's yeah, five, there, or do you think, think it's more? No, I think there is. Um, do you know what team? Because probably it has. It probably be the '60s Packers, right? The '60s Packers probably have more than more than five, right? '60s Chiefs. '60s. Oh Chiefs. yeah, sure. Curly Cup. Uh, uh, Cannon. Yep. Bobby um, Bell, Willie Lanner, Johnny Robinson. Each level they got two, so they go to six. So I guess what I'm saying is, it is possible. Um, it has happened before. I think I want to say Curly Cup or, or Buck Buchanan had to wait a while. I honestly think Curly Buck Cup just did. got it. Did yeah, it was Curly a cup that a just time. got in? Okay, so I guess what I'm saying is that team came before the Steelers. They have six, so there isn't a limit. But even though there's not a limit, whether it be, again, they feel like they've covered that already or the fact that, and I've talked to Steelers, uh, people that cover the Steelers on here before. I actually just had a Heinz Ward rep episode early and they, I, every time I have a Steelers person brought up, they, they do tell me there's a Steelers bias when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Do, do you feel the same way? Do, do you feel like there's a, a bias against Steelers players for the Hall of Fame? 
Because that's well, been brought first, up to me multiple times. First of all, my dad's gonna gonna be on me when he hears this podcast because he loves that old Chiefs team, loves that team. I knew, I knew they had that many guys. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be mad about that the rest of the day. But uh, ah, but that's all right. So, uh, but the Packers probably had close to that. They had a lot of guys. I, I think they, I think they had five. I, I have to yeah. go back, but I always knew the Chiefs had six because I've I've looked at defenses before for this like oversaturation with Jim Marshall with Minnesota. Um, is right. Jim Marshall not in because they already got Eller? They got Paige. They don't need three people from a defensive line think, in the hall, right? I think, yeah. And I think he, what, maybe has one or two Pro Bowls. I think that might be it. Only I, two Pro Bowls, no all pros, but 130-something sacks. For unofficially. sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, I think, I think that's the issue. So I think the Hall of Fame, and I have a, my brother-in-law, full disclosure, is a Bengal fan. And up until this past year, they only had one guy make it. And he's just like, what's the deal? And I think... I think there's a few things I think, again, like, as you said, you know, in the seventies, even like, it wasn't like now where we have like Sunday ticket where you can see every team. So I think back then it was more of like the, the, the marquee teams kind of, you know, it was a popularity contest, right? So, okay, well, you know, the Niners won four Super Bowls. So we're going to put Montana in rice in Ronnie Lott in. Okay. The seventies Cowboys, we're going to put style back in Dorset in uh, Randy white, you know, 70 Steelers, you know, they, so I think, I think, as the years go by and what you're seeing more and more, and especially in the more recent induction classes, we're getting away from the, okay, we're going to look at rings. We're going to look uh, at, you know, individual accolades. We're going we're to look a little bit less at those things because uh, I think the Bengals corner who j- just made it, I think only has one career pro bowl selection, but he has over 60 career interceptions. So like he should have been in the hall of fame a long time ago. But again, I think we're just we we're still looking too much at like I, I talked to Heinz Ward earlier this year. And he said that the, when it, when people talk to him, the main reason why he's not in is he doesn't have as many All Pros as other guys that played in his era. And when you look at Elsie Greenwood, I mean, two All Pros. Most of the guys ahead of him on that Pro Football Reference list have have three, have four, have five. So that's one of the things that I think that is holding Elsie Greenwood's candidacy back is that he quote unquote only has two all all pro nods but i think steven michael should be in the hall of fame from from those bears teams he was a phenomenal i do defensive lineman you know for them so um you know i think there is a i don't say a bias because there are five guys in but i do think like i said i think that when people looked at that team it was like for whatever reason and i think guys can get typecast right i think for lc i think he was kind of typecast as okay well you know um and i well i do and i do think there's a bias as far as positions, right? Like, okay, well, El- like Joe Green and, and Elsie even said this at one point when, you know, he, he said when he was alive, I'd be nice if I got in the Hall of Fame, but at the end of the day, Joe Green represents the steel curtain in the Hall of Fame. I, so I kind of consider myself in because Joe Green's in. So I think when people look at that defensive line, I think they, they almost say, okay, well, Joe Green represents the steel curtain, which is all fine and good. But like the next guy in line and, and what Joe Green even said, Elsie was just as instrumental to our success as I was. I just think the difference was Joe Green was so dominant prior to him suffering nerve damage in his right shoulder midway through the 75 season that he just was, I mean, his career started out so well, there was no way Joe Green wasn't going to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I think LC was better throughout the, and I think Joe would tell you that LC was better for the longer duration of his career than Joe Green was. Maybe Joe Green started out a lot better, but yeah, there's a bias because there are a lot of Steelers already in. Yeah. And and Brian, one kind of last area I want to tackle before we get to final verdict here is something I look at across all sports, basketball, football, baseball is 
whenever I'm looking at a player and looking at their camps, yeah, I like to look at the air they played in, right? It's it's hard, especially some sports are a lot different than others. I would never compare running backs from the 80s to the running backs of today or quarterbacks from the 60s. A quarterback is just different, right? And uh, defensive end, maybe not as different as other positions, but still, there's some differences here. So I like to look at the air, and I always think if a player was top five at their position during their air, doesn't mean they're a Hall of Famer, but it means they should definitely be in the conversation of the Hall of Fame. Best of a decade, right? And I was looking at the 70s, really, and who were the best DNs. And and there's kind of a tier here. At, at the very top of the tier, I think there's two people that separate themselves. It's Jack Youngblood and Carl Eller. They're, they're in a different tier. But then when I get to the number three through five spot, it's a bunch of guys, I think, that are all kind of fighting for those spots. And no one really clearly stands out to me. And I have four names here to go alongside Elsie Greenwood. And I want you to give me rankings three through five with these guys. So this might be a little tough. I For my listeners, I, I gave Brian no uh, heads up here because I'm not a fair guy. This is not fair. So this is off the top of Brian's head. So don't come kill him. Um, and I have some numbers and stats here. If you want them, you can ask me for them. But again, I have Jack Youngblood and Carl Eller at the top. They're different. But then three through five, there's there's kind of five guys fighting for these positions. There's Harvey Martin, Cowboys. There's Jim Marshall, who we just talked about. There's Claude Humphrey, who's in the Hall of Fame. There's Elvin, who we talked about earlier, another Hall of Famer. And then there's L.C. Greenwood. So I guess there's just five, all five of those guys fighting for spots three through five. How do you rank them? Harvey Martin, Jim Marshall, Claude, Elvin, and Elsie. That's tough. That's tough. Um, you know, let's, let's, well, Claude Humphrey, Claude Humphrey's in the Hall of Fame. He is. Like you said, you know, uh, now it's funny because he has one more Pro Bowl, I think, not than Elsie. No, six. He just has six. Six oh, Pro right. Bowls. Same, same amount of Pro Bowls, but yep. uh, yeah, and the same amount of all pros. So yeah, very similar in terms of accolades. Um, you know, I would, I would, as much as Steeler fans might hate me, I would put him ahead of, of LC because I think the amazing thing about him was he had 15 and a half sacks for the 1980 Eagles late in his career mm-hmm. that went to the Super Bowl. So I'll, I'll put him there. Okay. Uh, He's third. And then I would put LC next. Um, and then I would probably put, is it, who are, who do I have left? So, so you have left, you have Harvey Martin. So uh four-time pro bowler, one-time first team, all pro 114 sacks. You got Jim Marshall and you got Elvin, who's a hall of famer. Um, those are the kind of three guys left. Man, Harvey. So I'm putting Elvin there, but okay. man, like I'm going to put him there. But the fact that Harvey Martin and, is not a Hall of Famer either because he's he's a co-Super Bowl MVP. And when yep. you look at the Tuesday defense, I mean, he was so instrumental to that success, uh, especially even – and again, I think, you know, you talk about championships and how that affects legacy. The Cowboys, you know, won two Super Bowls in the 70s. They played in five. How many other – not many other teams, I think, have played in five Super Bowls in one decade. They actually – I think the only team to do that. And the only I'm, team. To- yeah. I mean, Bills had four and uh, right. what Minnesota had four. So. Yeah. I'm thinking the, the, the tens Patriots played in five too. Okay. They, so, so, I mean, this, those two franchises, um, those two teams. So, um, but, but the issue with the Cowboys were they lost three Super Bowls in that era by uh, I think 11 total points. So if they win five Super Bowls or four, they got a lot more guys in the hall of fame. And then in yep. the eighties, they lost three straight NFC championship games. 
And those were teams that 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 Harvey Martin was a big part of because he didn't wasn't on the Cowboys early Super Bowl teams in the early 70s. He wasn't there yet. So if they get breakthrough a few more times, he's for sure got a gold jacket in Canton. And again, that's kind of a detriment to maybe an, uh, uh, a blindsidedness of the Hall of Fame for just looking too much at championships when you're making Hall of Fame selections and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, I would put those guys just on the outside of that list, even though they're really good players and Jim Marshall should also be in the hall of fame. Yeah. So, so just for my listeners to play it back. So if we had a top five for the seventies, it'd be Jack Youngblood, who is in the hall of fame, Carl Eller, who's in the hall of fame, Claude Humphrey, who's in the hall of fame, LC number four, and then Elvin number five, who's in the hall of fame. So LC is in a group of hall of famers sandwiched between Humphrey and Elvin two hall of famers. Um, which again kind of passes my test here of a top five guy obviously should be in the conversation last question before we get to final verdict you brought it up earlier Brian the one thing when I'm listing all these names right I look at their sack totals their unofficial sack totals right Martin 114 Marshall 130 Claude Humphrey 130 they're all higher than LC's right you mentioned earlier LC's unofficial sack total even though it's unofficial 78 is lower than all of these guys. Do you, you brought up early, like, do you think that's what really voters are, are stuck on that, that sack total for a D end? Because again, for the Steelers, he had more than mean Joe green, uh, but he's inside. He's outside. 78 is lower on the scale all time. Unofficially that's 127th all time. And when you think of a D end again, they have other jobs other than wrestling the pasture pasture, but that's what people, you know, there's only so many stats for defenders. They grapple onto those. Do you think that's, what's really holding them back right now? That sack total. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's that, I think it's that people think just associate that line with Joe green and that everybody, I mean, yes, everybody benefited from having Joe green, but, but Joe green also benefited and everybody benefited from having Elsie Greenwood. And, and, that's the number one reason why, along with the Steelers already having a million guys in the Hall of Fame, is that Greenwood didn't have the, the sack totals. But again, I think if you look further into his career, he wasn't a starter his first two seasons. I mean, this was a 10th round pick from a small school. Yes, right? we didn't even like, bring that up. 10th round pick. Right. Like Joe Green was a, was a, was like a top, was like the second overall pick or like yep. he was like, he was drafted and it was like, you're going to start, you're going to be the guy, right? So LC doesn't become a starter until 71. Well, you know, 71, he had a pretty decent season, 11 sacks in 14 games, five full fumble recoveries, which led the league that year. So, um, you know, he once he got a chance to start, I mean, he, he took advantage of it, um, you know, and then in, in 73, eight and a half sacks, 74, 11 sacks, was sixth in defensive player of the year voting. Uh, and then, you know, again, late in his career, nine sacks in 1978, seven and 79. And uh, I think the, so yes, I mean, to answer your question, before we get to the final verdict, yes, his his lack of stats as far as sacks is the number one reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame. If Elsie Greenwood had 100, like, I think Charles Haley is in the Hall of Fame. Like, what yes. his candidacy over the, over the goal line is that he has 100 career sacks. So, and I think for Cameron Hayward, if he keeps playing, he needs 100 sacks to get there. Because I think Hayward's career is very similar, very similar to Elsie's. In terms of now, he doesn't have the rings, but in terms of production and all that stuff, but he's got to get over 100 sacks. I don't think if he does, he's not going to have a chance, just like LC. All right, Brian. So, final verb. So, how this works is I'm going to ask you two questions and I answer the same two questions and then we get you out of here. So, the two questions are one, if, if you had a vote today, and again, he's 
veterans committee only. So if you had a veterans committee vote today and LC was on the ballot, would you, would you vote for him? And then the second question you have to answer is, do you think LC Greenwood will ever get in the hall of fame? He's been waiting for a long time. Do you think we actually ever see him get inducted? So I think he should be in the hall of fame uh, for sure. Um, And just to kind of put a bow on, on the reasons why I think he's in the hall of fame, you look at, his impact on arguably the greatest team that's ever been assembled. Um, and there's no question. I mean, still four Super Bowls in six years is still an unprecedented feat. I don't know if we'll ever see it happen since the, if the Patriots didn't just do it, then I don't yep. know who's going to do it. Maybe this chiefs team, but, but who knows? Um, you look at his, his from 73 to 79, six pro bowls, two all pros during that span was clearly one of the top defensive players in the league during that span. We, we talked about what he did in Super Bowls. Um, I think there's a few other things that really, to me, put his candidacy over the, the goal line is he wasn't just a pass rusher. I mean, again, and, and I know that those numbers, his sacks, 78 sacks, isn't a ton, but it's still his third all-time in Steelers history. It led the Steelers for six years during their Super Bowl era. So, again, best defense maybe ever. He was their leader in sacks the majority of that time. So what does that say when the the – best pass rusher on arguably the best team ever is not in the hall of fame. Then I think, you know, he was more than just a pass rusher. He was a great tackler, but again, and this is one of the issues with the era he played in, there were no stats, individual stats back then for tackles. So he doesn't have any tackles next to his name. Force fumbles was not a stat back then. So he doesn't have any of those, which I guarantee he had a ton of forced fumbles. Um, he does have fumble recoveries to his credit, you know, 14, and he had five in uh, 1971, which led the league that year. So he was able to get his mitts on the ball. He batted passes, as we talked about in Super Bowl nine. He, again, there's no stats for quarterback pressures. He had a ton of those. And again, or if you had assists, sack assists, he probably had a ton of those. He was your prototypical defensive end. I mean, if you were to say, give me the, just, you know, I want a combination of size, speed, athleticism, you know, can do it all. Elsie's going to come out of that machine. He's going to be that guy. He's going to be the guy that you look at and say, what is the perfect defensive end? That's to me. And he didn't rush from the outside a lot. He was going right ahead and he played in the era before the left tackle was kind of known as the, you're the best lineman. So he was playing against Rayfield, right? All these guys that, you know, Jackie Slater that didn't always play on the left side because that was really before there was this emphasis to protect the quarterback's blind side. So he was oftentimes facing the other team's best offensive uh, lineman. Plus, quarterbacks could see him. They saw where he was coming from. So it was harder for him to get sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the – so I think he was – but really, and I this is would be my argument if I also had to make Heinz Ward argument. Uh, look at what he did in the playoffs. 12 and a half sacks. If you compare it to the official playoff statistics – for postseason stacks, that puts him, I think, at fifth ahead of a lot of other guys who were in the Hall of Fame, more than Alan Page, more than you know Carl Eller, more than a lot of other guys. Twelve and a half playoff sacks. That stand that speaks volumes. And if you add the four sacks to Super Bowl ten, he has more Super Bowl sacks than any other player. That also, to me, strengthens his argument. The guy wasn't just a great, and he had amazing longevity. One hundred and seventy games for his career. One hundred and thirty-five starts. Uh, played in in mostly in a fourteen game era, so he would have played more games probably if it was in a longer era. Um, but yeah, I mean, for all those reasons, to me, he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, just unfortunately, doesn't have the sack numbers, doesn't have any individual accolades like an MVP or anything like that. Do I think he'll get in the Hall of Fame? 
I think eventually, because forever is a long time, right? I mean, and I remember I asked the Steelers writer that covers the team a long time ago, will any other Steelers make it? And he said, no, the 70 Steelers are done. Since that comment was made to me, Donnie Shell made it. So it's still open, right? Never yeah. is a long way. You know, obviously it wasn't in his lifetime, which is a shame. You know, do I think Andy Russell will make it? I think so. There's going to have to be somebody that makes his case. Probably won't be me, but somebody else will have to make these guys his case as, as the years roll by. Because, you know, as the years go, you know, less and less people are going to see have seen these guys play. I didn't see Elsie Greenwood play, full disclosure, but I've seen enough of his highlights. Um, not seen him play in person, rather, but I think he will make it. Um, not anytime relatively soon. But I think as more time goes, as long as that argument continues to be pushed, I think he will eventually get in. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you just, that was a very good answer. I don't really have to do too much work here. So do I think he should be in? I, I, I do for all the reasons you, you said. The only thing I think I'd tack on is he did make both pro reference and the Hall of Fame's all decade team for the 70s. Again, this goes right into my kind of philosophy of if you're one of the best of your time period, you, you should be in. Um, and he was elected by both bodies. He was a second teamer, but like everyone on that list with him is like a hall of famer. And some of the people I named earlier, Claude Humphrey, Elvin, they're not even on some of those lists and they're in the hall of fame already. So I feel like the people that were, again, I, I, de- I did not see, I was not born until several years after he retired. Um, I never saw him play, but if the people watching him play, vote and again those teams are named in retrospect now so like if they think he's one of the best four players at the position during the 70s both these different bodies and they're picking him over players they've already voted in the hall of fame with everything else we've talked about the playoff numbers the championships being able to stand out on a team with all-time defenders he's in for me um do i ever think he'll get in I do, and it's because Donnie Shell just got in. You're right. If Donnie Shell didn't get in, I would have said they closed the book too. But that did reopen the door. The fact he was a finalist six times, this is not someone that we're just like digging up and we're like, hey, like looking back now, this guy, this is someone who was always in the conversation. He was a finalist on that final 15 list six different times and just for some reason or another never got over the hump. And that happens sometimes. So I do think he one day gets in. If I had to put a cap, I'd say next 20 years or so, he'll get in. The only thing, Brian, the only thing that could really kill him is, is again, people really latching onto those sack totals. I, I think that's where it is. DNs will continue. He'll continue to fall further and further down that list where, you know, in 20 years, if he's not in, he might be ranked not even in the top 200 anymore in sacks or something. And and now we're like, okay, like what, what are we doing here? Can we let him in? But I don't think that'll happen. I do think he it's in. So Brian and I are actually agreeing on both accounts that rarely happens on this show, but that's okay. Yeah. That, that happens sometimes. So um, that is the LC Greenwood episode, Brian. I want to thank you so much for, for finding the time to come on today. Um, Before we get you out of here, anything you want to plug anywhere our, my listeners can find you at? Well, I don't have anything to plug, but I do have one request of you. This cannot sure. be the last time I'm on this show because I love talking history uh, that's, you know, uh, my bread and butter. Honestly, when I started working in this business, I told the guy interviewing me, I know more about the 79 Steelers in the current team. They still hired me. I don't know why, but they did. I'm very fortunate for that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I love talking history. Obviously if you go set 70 Steelers with me, that's right in my wheelhouse. But, you know, I love talking about players, their hall of fame candidacy, um, 
I was really happy to see Cliff Branch make it the last couple of years because I was really pushing for him to get in. And I don't know if what I did made any difference, but regardless, I, I was really glad to see him get in. And uh, the emotion on his family's faces, like I went to the ceremonies, you know, to cover it, but also personally to, to see his family and to congratulate them. So I know um, anytime we can champion deserving players who might not be here to make their own argument. And, and honestly, to me, without saying names, it rubs me the wrong way. I think when guys go public and, and make their case for themselves and, and that's fine if they want to, but to me, it's, it's always, you know, if you were really great, Walter Payton always said, if you were, if you were great, people talk for you, you don't have to talk about yourself. And uh, I, I want to be an advocate for players who should be in the hall of fame that aren't. So when I'm given the platform to do these things, I really take it seriously. And I make sure I do the research on my end and I try to take my biasness out of it. Uh, even though I did grow up a Steelers person, um, I do think LC is deserving. And and so, yeah, so with that long push to be back on the show, I hope I am. It was really fun to be with you this morning, Jim. And uh, looking forward to hearing the show, even though if you could edit out the Chiefs part, I'd appreciate that. And no, I'm just kidding. That's going to be that's going to be motivation for me to study harder. But it was a pleasure to be on with you today and, and hope we can do it again in the future. Yeah, and I'll have to go back and look at the Green Bay uh, teams from the 60s and see, you know, as a Bears fan, I'm very biased against them. So I probably didn't even want to give them the time <laughs> of day. But the, in my head, I'm thinking I'm counting five. I might be missing the six, but it could be five. Um, but regardless, Brian, you will definitely be invited back on. Loved having you on. Great way to start the Friday. Um, but that's all we have for LC Greenwood. Brian, until next time, um, look forward to it. Have a great rest of your week and take care. You too, Jim. Thank you. All right. So that about wraps up today's podcast. I want to thank Brian again for coming on to talk about LC Greenwood. Had a lot of fun there. Uh, if you don't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Falls on Twitter at Pot of Fame. Falls on Substack. Uh, if you Google Pot of Fame Substack, you're going to find our Substack. It is called Past, Present, Future. It's more sports from us. So go ahead and go subscribe to that. If you've done all that, you have done your homework. So have a great week and we will talk to you next Monday. Take care.